Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in this Advent season, and we think of the many memories that we have of times past, of the joys that we shared with others that may no longer be with us, of the times that we spent with family, with friends, with loved ones, preparing for your Christmas season, preparing for your son's birth. And we pray in this day that you would help our hearts to be in tune with your spirit, that you would help us to look to thee to have our joy rekindled and to grasp the great joy that your son brought, that Jesus brought when he came to this earth, and that you could help us to show forth this joy in our lives as we walk through this Advent season with you, as we share your joy with others. All these things we thank thee for and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the third Sunday of Advent, and according to the the order that uh, we're following here, which I realize may be different in different traditions, um, this Sunday is to focus on joy, the joy of Christ coming to this earth. And it was difficult for me to pick a particular scripture. I've mostly focused on trying to look at the moments of joy that were specified in the Bible throughout the different uh, Christmas passages. But I'm going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 2, how the wise men came to visit Jesus. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, 
which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I have, have I called my son. So for the past week or so, I've been studying joy. And uh, I told Evelyn that... Uh, I think perhaps that this is the uh, the most uh, difficult, the most most difficult assignment I could have been given during Advent was the to speak about joy. But as I went back and I looked at uh, joy, um, tried to trace back to the the Greek words that were, were used here in the scene and behind the scenes in the, the, different, uh, the different Christmas accounts that we have. I found something that I think we, we already know um, inherently as believers that when the Bible talks about joy, of course, that it's not really in the same way that we we talk about joy today, the way we use the word in the English language most commonly, outside of church at least. You know, we usually equate joy with happiness and uh, gladness and, um, you know, in America, of course, uh, getting the material goods that we want, that gives us great joy if we go shopping this time of year. But when I looked into the, the Greek word here, I noticed the definition that Strong's used for the Greek word hurrah, which is spelled C-H-A-R-A in the English language. I don't do a very good job of pronouncing the, uh, saying it the way it would be said in Greek with the, uh, the uh, sound with the H. Um, but we take that word in, in English, of course, and we use it to form the word charisma or charismatic. Um, but according to Strong's, the best way to translate this word is cheerfulness or calm delight. Now that really strike, struck me because we usually don't think we think of joy as something really super abundant, super exciting, super um, 
I don't know, very emotional, not, not a, a feeling of calm, delight, or, or just cheerfulness. So if we look at the different scriptures that were used, that were, were the way the word joy was used in the different scriptures leading up to Jesus' birth and through his birth, we will see that the gospel writers usually used adjectives to precede this to show that this was more than just cheerfulness or calm delight or a different Greek word completely. Uh, sometimes we see agaliases, which uh, is often translated gladness or sometimes joy, which translates better as exaltation or exceeding joy and perhaps is closer to what we would, we, what we would call joy today. In fact, this second word uh, will even indicates in some way some type of outward action that shows the joyfulness. For example, it's used in, in Luke when uh, Mary comes to Elizabeth and John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. This is not the joy of cheerfulness or calm delight. This is the joy of exaltation, the exceeding joy, the jumping for joy, if you will, literally. Um, but if we go back to uh, Zacharias, uh, which we talked about in Wednesday night Bible class, in Luke 1, 13 and 14. Zacharias and Elizabeth, of course, were childless. And Zacharias had went into the temple because he was, he was serving there, and he had this vision of an angel coming to him. And in verse 12, it starts, and when Zacharias, Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. So here we see the use of joy and gladness together. The word translated joy is the one meaning cheerfulness or calm delight, and the word translated gladness is the one that means exaltation or exceeding joy or jumping for joy. So we see here that the gospel writers try to show us the two kinds of joy, not just the calm delight, but also the more emotional outward joy that we sometimes feel, or happiness, as we might translate it in, in English. But there is a distinguishment between the two for those who are writing here. So what caused joy in this case for Zacharias? The angel said, thy prayer is heard.
Now, I don't know about you, but if I have a prayer that I feel has been answered, that gives me joy. And it's surprising here, it surprises me in the sense because Zacharias and Elizabeth, of course, were, were so old here, and I'm trying to think, was, think were, were they still praying for this, or was this an, an old prayer that perhaps they had even given up on, or perhaps that they had not, uh, were not uttering it with the same diligence or the same uh, determination that perhaps it had been uttered when they were younger. And I don't know here, but we know that God hears our prayers, that God remembers our prayers, that God stores up our prayers, even if we aren't currently speaking the words, and God remembers our prayers. And here the angel tells Zacharias that his prayer was heard, and that he and his wife Elizabeth, of course, are going to have great joy and gladness. Again, as we talked about in in, uh, Bible study on Wednesday night, of course, uh, the angel comes to, to Mary. And to tell her that she's going to have a son, Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary's first response was, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? So if you, th- you think about this, it does not say that Mary had great joy here. But this was her first response was, you know, how can this even be? And as we talked Wednesday night, of course, uh, Mary, uh, Mary, at the end of this conversation, uh, she came and said, you know, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, and she simply accepted this in, in faith. So if we move on, of course, the angel also gave her this comfort in letting her know that her cousin Elizabeth was also expecting, and Mary took advantage of this to go and to visit Elizabeth. And as we look farther in, in the chapter here, of course, we have the experience where when maybe Mary came into the room that the, uh, John the Baptist that was in Elizabeth's womb uh, leaped for joy. Again, this is exaltation, exceeding joy, again with this uh, connotation of perhaps some type of outward action going with it. The, uh, the leaping of the baby in this case. And in verse 46, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Father, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. 
For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. The word rejoice here is back to the same base word as hurrah, or again, meaning cheerfulness or calm delight. And again, Mary has come to this point where she's accepted that this is from the Lord. And we notice, though, that here where she's expressing joy, we see something different that's happened. We see that joy, I believe, is brought here because we not only have accepted the Lord's will, but we also are, have this expectation of the Lord working in this. And we're looking beyond her initial response where she was concerned about how, how this was going to impact her, and now she has switched to how this joy is going to how God's joy is going to fill her and what this is going to mean for God, how this is going to glorify God, how this is going to, to uh, change, the, change the history of the history of the world. So she switched from a, an inward personal view of what this will do to her to look at this from God's view. And I think this is very important because when we think about what joy means in our life, when we think about what true joy means, it makes us step back and look at things from God's view. And this is the reason that joy is different from happiness. That This is the reason that the distinction is that happiness is often concerned with what makes me happy versus what is God going to do? What is going to glorify God? What is going to exalt God? If we move on in the Christmas story, if we go to Luke 2, Jesus has been born now in a stable or, or cave, definitely not in the inn. And if we look at Luke 2.10, we see the next instance of joy recorded here. And this was when God came, sent the angels to come to the shepherds in the field, Luke 2, verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch o'er their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angels came to the shepherd, and they said, We bring you good tidings of great joy. Again, the word great here as an adjective to amplify the joy that's indicated by calm delight or cheerfulness. It's more, greater joy than that. And finally, we go to the back to Matthew, which of course uh, occurs later than the at some time after this. We see the wise men experiencing joy. Back to Matthew two, chapter ten. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So again, the words rejoiced here and joy both come from hurrah and are indicating, again, the general level of, of joy. But in order to amplify that joy, to order, in order to to show that this was more than just that, that uh, standard level of joy, the author used the word exceeding and also repeated basically here the same root word, we rejoice with exceeding great joy. Obviously, they could have, he could have just stopped, Matthew could have just stopped and said, when they saw the, the star, they rejoiced. But again, to amplify, amplify the, the uh, uh, level of joy shown here, he repeated the word, the uh, root word, rejoice and joy, and used the adjective exceeding. So as we look at the use of joy here with Jesus' birth, it's easy, as, easy for us to experience joy when our prayers are answered, when God's Savior is sent to redeem mankind, that the Jews, of course, have been waiting for this for thousands of years, and when babies are born, we rejoice. But God calls us to experience joy outside of these scattered moments through our lives. He asks us to rejoice in the Lord always, as Philippians 4.4 4 says, and again, the Apostle Paul doubles that. And again, I say rejoice. And in 1 Thessalonians 
We are told that we are to rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. So in our daily lives, it's important for us to take time and remember that joy This calm delight, this cheerfulness, is something that is required of us as believers. And sometimes we forget to be joyful just out of the busyness of our daily lives. Sometimes we, we get in a rut and we forget that these tiny moments that we have day to day are are essential components of what God is working in our lives, that they are just as great of moments as these moments of joy that Mary experienced, that the shepherds experienced, that the wise men experienced, that we still have these, these moments day by day when we connect with the Lord and we are able to be in his presence. But perhaps, and we also have the, uh, John talks about the, in chapter 16, Verse 20, John, of course, talks about the the change in a mother that's giving birth and the change that the disciples are going to have in their own lives. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. So perhaps the the largest challenge that we have with being joyful, though, are those experiences in our lives that are very difficult. Because we know that if we go to Hebrews 12.2, talks about Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. And I'm always challenged by this. I'm always challenged by... uh, All my life I've been challenged by, sometimes by 
when I see other Christians talking about joy and in such a way that it almost seems like it's and a an external emotional uh, demonstration of the joy that's inside them. And uh, especially when I was growing up sometimes, you know, perhaps it was my, my viewpoint as a, as a teenager, I often, I, 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 I struggled a lot with Know, my 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 per, accepting my personality and the fact that hey I'm I'm going to think about things a lot and I'm sometimes that's going to lead me down roads that are going to make me discouraged or or depressed or pull inward as opposed to expressing my outward emotions and especially perhaps joy you know as as men uh, you know we are often somewhat trained to restrain our, our emotions, our demonstration of, of outward emotions, except, except during uh, sports events, of course. But um, So when I would hear a sermon when I was young, and I felt that the, uh, the minister was perhaps sugarcoating joy, or saying that, you know, we as Christians, that uh, I once heard uh, a brother say, you know, Jesus was the most outgoing, joyful person on this earth. You know, he just exuded joy. Every day he was out there exuding joy. And those aren't the exact words, but that's the way I took it anyway. And uh, after one of these sermons, uh, one day at lunch, I uh, had a conversation with with. Uh, uh, Elder Brother Walt Meyer at the time, and I said, you know, when Jesus was in Gethsemane, it says his soul was exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. How was he exuding joy? Tell me, explain this one to me. And Brother Walt looks at me and he says, well, you know, we, we have to consider that, you know, Jesus was, was bearing the sins of the whole world and that what he was experiencing there was deeper agony than any of us human beings will, will ever experience. And uh, while that did totally answer my question, you know, I thought that was, uh, you know, a, a good thing to, to look at, to remember and to look at. And... But I still went through a, a lot of uh, a lot of, of struggles with that, with thinking. Well, even here, we, we, when we look at the verse in uh, in chapter two or chapter twelve, verse two in Hebrews, about how Jesus looked forward to the joy that was set before him, and I was trying, always trying to figure out. Well, so was he just enduring? Was he looking forward to the joy in heaven? Was he? He looking out to that, or was he really experiencing any type of joy through this, this suffering that he was going through? And if we look at James, James says that, of course, that we are, we are supposed to count it all joy when we fall into to divers, divers temptations, into divers trials, 
um, better, better way of looking at that than temptations per se. But tests, when we're being tested, that we're supposed to count it all joy. And, of course, Jesus told us that, um, you know, when men revile us and persecute us, persecute us um, we are supposed to, uh, and Luke, he goes as far as say that uh, we should leap for joy. And so when I... I, I struggled with this a lot, and when I, I come back to the, the, uh, the way that the Bible describes joy, though, I, I see this, this uh, difference here between what the Greek word indicates and what we think about joy today. Again, a calm delight, a cheerfulness. This is something that is important to, for us to have even in times of trials, even in times of, of testing and tribulation, even in times of persecution, that we need to find this cheerfulness or this calm delight. And again, we do that in the same way, perhaps, as we saw the transition between Mary's initial response to the angel and her expression of joy with Elizabeth, in that it's not a focus on ourselves, but it's a focus on what God is doing. And the only way to have joy in these types of trials and tests that we experience in this life is to step back and to quit looking at things from our perspective and try to have a perspective of what God is doing. And while I, as a person, do not feel I have arrived there, you know, I, I definitely am more cognizant of it than when I was younger, that, hey, I'm in, this, I'm in this thing that's given me a lot of difficulties, I'm struggling in this, and I, I need to release this to God, right? I need to go back, and I need to focus on where does my joy really come from? My joy really comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from me and the more I focus on something, the more I focus on the awfulness of the trial, the awfulness of the test, the more discouraged I'm going to get. Whereas if I can step back and I can say, look, I see the hand of God in this. I don't like where I am, but I see the hand of God working in this. He's working on me, and perhaps he's even working on other people that might be part of this test or this trial, right? When Jesus was crucified, it wasn't just him. He was there on the cross, but there were many onlookers. His peace, his joy that he was experiencing and giving his life for us was a witness to everyone that was there. It was a witness to those who were crucifying him. It was a witness to those that were against him. And we see that calm delight. We see that joy showing through even there on the cross. We see the concern for others asking Mary, asking John to take care of Mary, his mother. 
we see his concern for the thief on the cross. So, in this Christmas season, we have many people who are not experiencing joy. I did a search on holiday blues, and I came up with this uh, podcast. And so I thought, oh, I'll listen to this. I'll see see what this person is saying about holidays blues. It was pretty much a 35-minute uh, rant on how they were going to be alone at Christmas and uh, how this was affecting their... their uh, their uh, joyfulness. Obviously, during this time of season, a lot of people are facing these holiday blues. Holiday blues is not an official uh, DSM-5 designation for you medical uh, personnel out there, of course. Seasonal affective disorder is, however, and of course we know that some people are, are affected, lose their, their joy uh, this time of year because of the darker days and that um, that, that can be uh, difficult, difficult for those that are suffering from that. But people suffer from general disruption of schedules, excesses in their intakes of food or alcohol, being isolated, being reminded that friends or family are not there anymore, and that they may have lost some relationships due to death or some other estrangement in the past year, and the happiness of previous years has now become sadness or sorrow. And finally, of course, you know, we, we risk here even focusing on the Advent season of uh, working up to Christmas, of creating this, this uh, expected event of holiday joy and cheer that we will be unable to uh, reach the expectations that we set for it. So in this Christmas season, I want us to think about not only our own joy or capturing joy in our life, but also helping others to experience joy. If we look at our own lives, what we need to do, if we go back to 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David had, uh, and his men had left Ziglag behind. While they were gone, Ziglag was burned. His wives were taken captive. And they returned to Ziglag. 
Verse 6 in 1 Samuel 30 says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. We go to Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Remember, years ago we also studied Habakkuk in Bible study once. God punished the Jewish people, used the Chaldeans, to, was, was uh, prophesied that he was going to use the Chaldeans to wipe out the land and the, uh, most of the book here is mostly a downer from that perspective. But at the end of Habakkuk, in chapter 3, verses 17, starting with verse 17, Habakkuk said, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the Lord of the olives shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. So this Christmas season, let's make sure that we Focus on having that calm delight in the Lord. Let's focus on having our cheerfulness. Let's focus on going to the Lord and making sure that our relationship with him is close enough that we can feel that cheerfulness. And let's also think about how that inner joy might be able to impact others in this time. Because sometimes when we're not even thinking about it, if we have the joy of the Lord, we will find that that, that is picked up on by others. Years ago, I worked uh, with, had a co-worker who was a believer, and her husband also worked at the, uh, worked with the same organization. And the husband uh, got a better job offer down south, and they moved and uh, went there with their two young teenage sons. Soon after they moved there, husband and the sons were out uh, riding uh, motorbikes, and uh, the husband uh, ran into a tree, was killed. Not sure if that was precipitated by a heart problem or if it was the impact itself. And she and the family came back, and they had a memorial service here in, in our area. And I went and attended, as did many of my uh, many of my coworkers. 
Now, you would think that this would be a time where, and obviously some time had passed, but you would think that this would be a downer of a funeral. Sometimes we expect, we, you know, at when, when we get older and, and we are struggling physically, it's easy, easier for us to accept that, you know, we've, we've lost a loved one through death. But here was a, a young widow with two teenage sons she was going to have to raise by herself. And while the event was sober, I can only say that she was full of joy. She was appreciative of everyone who came. She gladly relived moments from her husband's life. She was optimistic about the future. And she encouraged us all to stay and to share with her. And afterwards, I was talking to one of my coworkers, and they said, "You know that that was that was kind of strange. Like she was she was almost like I don't know exuberant. I don't know if that's the word the word he used, but it was like my coworker noticed." And I think other people noticed there, too. And while I realize that the depths of sadness wave wash over us as we remember times that we've experienced these trials and tribulations in our lives, we also need to be aware that God has promised us joy. We also need to be aware that, that we can have this calm delight, this calm exuberance, if you will, in the Lord through the joy that he's given us, through our relationship with him, and that this joy can be, should be, must be shared with others and that our lives need to show forth this joy each day. And so I hope in this Christmas season that you will think deeply about the true joy, the joy of Jesus coming, not only as a child, but as the salvation of the world, that you will think about how this joy has impacted you, and that you will share this joy with others. May God bless his word.